I was by most means crushing it, but it was not how I would want to live. I was lucky to perform well through it. I was lucky to have not, you know, suffered some sort of major burnout or breakdown during it. You are listening to the You Are a Lawyer podcast. I am the podcast host, Kyla Denano, a 2015 law school graduate. This podcast was created to share the experiences and successes of law school graduates who created their own paths to career success. Welcome to the podcast, Krista. Hey, how are you, Kyla? I am well. Krista, would you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much, Kyla, for having me on the podcast. My name is Krista Lynn, and I go by the handle on social media of Recovering Superwoman, and I'll love to tell you a little bit why. I am a full-time single mom of three kids. My youngest will be two, my middle will be three and a half, and my oldest will be five. So I have some busy hands (laughs) here, here in my house. I actually am a practicing attorney. I am the deputy general counsel of a company down here on the space coast of Florida called Airbus OneWeb Satellites. We manufacture satellites for low earth orbit in a really cool production facility. Mm -hmm. And I am also a blogger under the handle that I mentioned, Recovering Superwoman. I'm a speaker and a motivational coach slash consultant for people that have been in situations similar to me. So those are typically people who are professionals, lawyers or otherwise, who have faced some sort of adversity in their adult lives and have struggled combating that during their working career. So for me, I was coming out of an abusive marriage to an addict and narcissist with two young kids and was pregnant with my third. And I was really struggling to maintain my very high profile career Mm -hmm. with, you know, all of the things that I was battling on the home front. And so it was a very isolating place to be. And it's something that I try to speak to others about now, even if just by making it a safe space to talk about or by sharing my story, I really believe one of the best ways to deal with our pain is to help others with theirs. And so that is the mission that I am on. And that is my side-by-side hustle, if you will, in what I do. So those are all of <laughs> all of the different hats that I wear in my daily life and why I call myself a recovering superwoman, because I'm recovering from the idea that I have to do everything, be everything, say everything, fix everything. And I'm just trying now to live boldly as my most authentic self. Yeah. I'm so glad that you got out of that situation that wasn't beneficial to you. When you were leaving that marriage, what amount of time did it take for you to start the Recovering Superwoman blog? Did you have journals and then you decided to put them online or what was it? You know, I actually started the blog as a journal and it was because the therapist that I was working with at the time suggested that I do some journaling. This was shortly after I filed for divorce. And I said, lady, like I have, I have two, an infant and a toddler and I'm pregnant with my third, like all by Mm -hmm. myself. And I have a you know, high profile career. Yeah. How how am I possibly going to find time to journal? And she said, I mean, well, you said you type kind of fast. Can you like type it? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, okay, if I have to. And it really went from there. And I started it as an online journal message to myself, if you will. And it turned into one day, just kind of having the courage to publish a post and got some feedback on it. And that helped me to then write another post 
and another, and, and it really went from there. Yeah. It was an unintended direction. It's not something I really was setting out to be a blogger, certainly not setting out to be a speaker or coach or consultant of any kind. I found that people really resonated with the authenticity, with mm -hmm. the vulnerability. And um, even if they didn't have a story that was like mine or know someone that had a story like mine, everybody related to the idea of feeling like they had to be perfect or they didn't have room for error. Yeah. And I think that's really what has caused it to, to the extent that it's successful, you know, to be so. Okay. You were told that you would be a lawyer and you worked really hard to not be a lawyer. <laughs> What's that all about? Let me tell you, it's one of my favorite stories. So my entire life, I guess, you know, it was destiny for me to, to become a lawyer, but everybody said to me, to my parents, to me, to my teachers, whomever it was that, you know, she's going to be a lawyer. It wasn't even like, Krista, you should be a lawyer. It mm -hmm. was, she's going to be a lawyer. Wow. And like any stubborn woman, I said, well, if that's what you all think I'm going to do, I'm going to definitely not do that. <laughs> of course. Of course. Right? And so I, um, I went to undergrad. I started by studying business and eventually switched to a poli-sci major and then eventually to a pre-law major, but only because I, I went to the University of Central Florida, which is the second largest university in the country. Hmm. And I had read a statistic in like the school newspaper at the time because newspapers used to be a thing. Yeah. <laughs> I read a statistic that like 60% of the students were graduating with business degrees. And, hmm. you know, when you're dealing with 50,000 people, you know, that go to a university, I was like, that's, that's a lot. Like, yeah. how am I going to stand out from competition? Like I was a good student and everything, but I still thought getting a job would be tough. So people think lawyers are smart. I'll go do pre-law and I'll, I'll graduate with that degree. So I remember going all through undergrad and taking all the classes, crim law and contracts and everything. And professors would say at the end of their class, like who's taking the LSAT on Saturday or, what, you know, <laughs> how's studying going? And, you know, I never raised my hand because I was not going to law school. <laughs> <laughs> nope, I'm just here for the degree. Wow. And it wasn't until then I actually started a master's program in management. And, wow. Okay. And and I completed that. And I I was dating a guy at the time who did, wanted to be a lawyer. He wanted to go to law school and started studying for the LSAT. And I just found like the logical games part of the LSAT really fascinating and fun. Are you and serious? Yes, I did. I was one of those <laughs> weird people. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to take the LSAT for fun. I'm going to register for it and take it. And I'm going to do better than him because like, I'm super competitive. I see. see. Clearly <laughs> born to be a lawyer. <laughs> and um, I took the LSAT and I did really well. <laughs> it's like, oh, maybe I should go to law school. And then I just succumbed to my fate. And that's how I ended up going to law school. Okay. But did you enjoy law school? You know, no. but no, okay. <laughs> okay. I didn't enjoy law school because probably because I, I was never going to be the quote unquote typical lawyer. I liked business. That's why I went, I went to undergrad originally for business. I still like business more than law. However, my, you know, stellar business acumen actually just makes me a better lawyer because, mm -hmm. because I represent my company you know, in our complex commercial transactions. And because I like the commercial aspects of the deal so much, it makes me a very good in-house lawyer. So I knew that when I made the decision to go to law school, I only wanted to practice in-house. And I've, in my decade of practice, have only practiced in-house. I've been very lucky to, to do so. So I didn't care. I was not doing the journal. I didn't want to do, you know, any of the, the normal things, you yeah. know, and associateships. I, I didn't want to do any of that. I had no interest in interviewing for with law firms. But you know what? I graduated from law school in 2011. You know, I, I went in right when the 
the recession hit in 2008. Yeah. And, you know, I was in the bottom half of my class academically. And I was one of like 15% of people that had a job on graduation. Wow. <laughs> like I just, I took a different path and I knew what I wanted to do. And I really think that that was probably the advice that I give to law students now is there is certainly, I don't want to call it an easy way, but a well-treaded path that you can follow. Mm-hmm. And that is certainly the quote unquote standard, but it's not the only way. There are other ways to find a meaningful career in the law, and those should not be discounted. At all. And for those that don't know, so when you get out of law school, or even when you're in law school, there's really two tracks, right? There's transactional or there's litigation. Mm -hmm. Litigation can be being a defender or a prosecutor, anything like that in the public sector. And then transactional is typically big law. I mean, in-house is a huge portion, but a lot of times people think about big law which is a a huge law firm. You know, I was having a conversation earlier today on Clubhouse about uh, just the model of law schools generally. And the law is so quickly outdated, but the law school model is so antiquated. It is. It's really, I mean, you understand why you spend a year going through the major subject areas of law, but what really makes no sense is everything after that. Like Mm -hmm. when I mean, the things I needed to know to be a lawyer, I did not learn in law school. I mean, none of them. (laughs) I saw that on your questionnaire. Can we get some more details about that? You said practicing you didn't learn in law school, soft skills about being an attorney you didn't learn in law school. No, I mean, let's take my career specifically as an in-house counsel. I mean, I was not, of course I learned property law, but in all of the real estate contracts that I did, property law really didn't matter. I mean, the general basic, basic concepts did, but have I ever used the rule against perpetuities? No, not for my (laughs) practice. That's not to say others in their practice didn't, but like Mm -hmm. not in my practice. And I can go through every class with the exception of contracts and tell you that it was not applicable to my practice. Now, of course I did. I took a legal writing classes was part of the curriculum and I will call that mildly helpful, but the legal writing class that I took, I mean, I'll tell you why. None of the legal writing that I do did I learn in my legal writing class. None of it. True. You know, my legal research class, I don't do legal research as an in-house counsel. Thank God. (laughs) You know, I've never had to use Westlaw or Lexis once in my practice. Never. So there were things that I wish that I learned though. Like I wish I learned about discernment and really Mm -hmm. like how to make business decisions. Because in-house, you are not just tasked with foreseeing consequences and, you know, redlining documents and advising your client. You are tasked with making decisions. You are expected to have a seat at the table. That's why I like practicing in-house. Yeah. And, you know, I, I could have stand to learn how to, to make those decisions. There are so many things about the structure of companies and finance and companies and accounting systems and things that are not necessarily quote unquote law, but extraordinarily relevant to a legal practice. Now you Mm -hmm. learn those, you know, in your, in the course of your career through practice and that's fine, but it really just to me begs the question that would we not benefit from a model that used, you know, perhaps some of that second year and, and all of that third year in some kind of clinical setting where like that is the training that you get. 
Yeah. That wherever you go, like you're learning something. I, I mean, truly, I worked at a law firm when I was an undergrad and prior to going to law school, I worked first as a secretary and then as a paralegal. And I learned so much more about like filing documents and mm-hmm. all of that in my law firm experience for six months that I never learned any of that in law school. I didn't know how to do pleadings. Absolutely. There's just and I mean, I'm not sad that I didn't spend time doing that because I've never had to do one in my life. However, <laughs> like those are, there are actual practice things that you learn in an associateship, perhaps, you know, in between all your whining and dining for the summer, but the actual instruments of practice are not taught in law school. And yeah. I just believe that the model could stand to be updated. It really could, because I'm thinking about my own experience. I did learn how to draft an opinion letter and how to write pleadings for various things, but that was in advanced writing. It wasn't in your basic 1L writing course. So it's kind of too bad that you have to take an elective to even get exposed to some of those advanced writing courses. So It is. I just think that there's like skills that we need as lawyers, like negotiation. Uh, negotiation in a business context, um, negotiating on behalf of your client, how to act with clients. I I mean, and this is how you advise a client when you're in private practice and in-house, like this is how you manage outside counsel in litigation. Like those are actual things that you need to learn. And I think that um, those would be beneficial things to learn in law school. Yeah, absolutely. At least you want to change it for the next people. You're not like, oh, I went through it. You guys go through the same thing. No, no, I think that we should learn, right? Yeah, Yeah. we could learn from it and do better, be better. If not, what's the point? I mean, I spent $250,000 on my law Mm -hmm. degree. Like I certainly want to make sure that, you know, the next person that does the same is going to get the most from it possible. And it's not to say I have anything negative against my law school. And I didn't have a ton of fun in law school. I did. I just didn't like the law school experience as much. Perhaps other people do. So do you find that having gone through trauma has made you a better attorney or a better person or what? What a powerful question. Yes. But let me tell you, I didn't think that at the time. Okay. In fact, I worked so hard to conceal what I was going through Hmm. because like many victims of abuse and, or people that are going through any kind of trauma, it's a very isolating feeling. You feel like you're alone. You're very embarrassed and you have a lot of shame. Even if you didn't do anything wrong, you feel like the situation is bigger than you and you feel like you're on an island by yourself. And of course, I'm an in-house attorney, so I am literally paid to exercise professional judgment. (laughs) And I was very afraid that people would think that I had poor judgment in my personal life. Mm. And therefore, that would affect my career trajectory, which I had worked really hard to establish, frankly. So I kept it under the rug for a really, really long time. And in fact, that probably kept me in the marriage longer than I should have stayed. But because I was alone or felt alone, it just perpetuated the cycle and it allowed the abuse to continue and it allowed me to hide from it and not confront it. And actually, Kyla was my employer at the time that kind of nudged me in the direction. And I'll explain how that happened. Uh, My employer had a policy about disclosure of certain triggering events, domestic situations being one of them, just because of the number of people that they employed in their offices and warehouses. And were always worried about, I think, a domestic situation transferring to the office. Yeah. And so I had to disclose uh, several situations over the course of my employment. And as part of that, it, it kind of forced me to talk about it. Hmm. It kind of forced me to, when I wasn't sharing with a lot of other people what was going on, it forced me to draw it into the light. 
Yeah. And that is the onus behind what I'm doing now. I always Mm -hmm. say I'm bringing struggle into the light, not because struggle should be glorified or trauma should be glorified, but because it's actually much more prevalent than we think. It is. Yeah. And I find that it's really important to, to talk about it so that even someone who is in a situation like mine, I mean, it took me hearing about abuse, reading about abuse, reading about narcissism and addiction and codependency and all these other things for years before I was able to get out. (laughs) It's, it took quite a long time. So I hope that by, you know, giving these messages and sharing my story that someone hears it, you know, wherever they are in their journey and, you know, it it helps them along in their process. Absolutely. Now I know that law school teaches us to be tough and to just go straight with the facts, you know, leave all the emotion out. Were you an open book before law school and then law school kind of made you keep to yourself more? Yes, it did. Because while I was so shy about it and embarrassed and humiliated, frankly, from what I had went through and afraid how it would affect my career, what I actually discovered was the resilience that I developed Mm. by going through what I went through, the skills that I had learned and had to apply in operating under extremely high pressure high intensity situations actually has served me very well in my legal career, probably too well. I'm, I wow. actually operate very well under pressure. Sometimes I feel like I need to check myself and remind myself that like, I'm human, <laughs> you know? Yes. I generally operate in what I call emotionless law working in business. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, there, there's consequential impacts to company, but not usually people's lives or their ability to see their children or, or anything like that. Right. And I like that. And it just allows me to play in that space. So I very firmly believe that my circumstances have made me a better lawyer. And I actually, I tell my story to the extent that it ever comes up. I mean, I now share pretty regularly on LinkedIn and other platforms. And I mean, I'm all my coworkers and people I've worked with in the past and anyone that might hire me in the future. <laughs> certainly see what I put out there and I'm no longer afraid of that though I really believe that that is that's part of my story and it's part of what makes me a really great lawyer like look what I was able to accomplish a very high functioning attorney you know award-winning in in certain ways um all while I was going through some incredible trauma. So I sell that now, you know, and I think that any person in my situation, whether they were excelling at that point in their life or not, the tools and resources that you develop in going through a significant experience, it could be the loss of a child, you know, pregnancy loss, you know, death of a parent or, you know, an illness, like anything that we go through makes us stronger. Mm -hmm. We just have to make sure to go through it. Yeah. And not to isolate any listeners who are not parents, but I find that even having a child is a huge traumatic change to the way our life was before. I definitely thought my daughter would get here and she would kind of fit in to our life the way we had it before. (laughs) And I'm trying to do things around her, right? Not she's the boss, but you know, she's a person who can't care for themselves. So her needs exceed mine. I can work overtime later. If she needs something now, I have to do it. Isn't it funny how that perspective shift just, mm-hmm. you think it's going to be one way and it is just never exactly like we imagined, but it's also so meaningful that change. Like I actually went into parenting the opposite as you, and I had an awakening as well. I went in thinking like, my child is not going to be the center of our family. Like we're, I'm going to teach the child to fit into our lives. And I had to adjust and like, okay, 
we are going to, you know, <laughs> kind of kind of work around you. And then I had to go back the exact opposite way because I was going through so much at home also yeah. that like my my children, they never became, you know, second or third string or anything, but they also had to have a lot of adaptability and flexibility at a young age yeah. um, you know, to go through some of those situations. So it was kind of full circle for us. Yeah, it's amazing. Every day we're learning something new. And I'm like, how did I what did I do before she was here? I had so much free time. I don't, where did the time go? Right. I'm sure I was reading books or something, but I don't, what was Or taking naps, right? You gotta miss those. (laughs) You know? So in your life specifically, what do you think you got from law school besides just your degree and the exposure to the various types of law? Um, I will say a few things. I didn't really fall in love with the law and the idea of being a lawyer until I was in law school. Uh, so definitely found, you know, that it was my dreams of wanting to do good in the world that led me to the practice of law, but I didn't really see how that could be utilized until I was in law school. So I'm very grateful for that. I think that law school taught me a method of analysis that was already somewhere inside of me, but obviously it honed those skills a lot and really assisted with reasoning and organization of, you know, complex multi-subject problems. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, so, so it really refined those skills. Uh, again, is it the best way to do it? I don't know, but that, that was huge for me. It also was an opportunity for me to figure out really who I was. Now, I think most people kind of go through their whole coming of age (laughs) prior to even undergrad, but I feel like I had kind of a second coming of age in law school. I had already been a working professional for a number of years, and I was taking this time to go to law school and to pursue something that I had fought against for my entire life. So there was just some like cross realization of, (laughs) you know, what was, what was coming to me my entire life, but I didn't know. And, and finally accepting that and then embracing it, you know, instead of resisting, taking it and being like, how can I make this, you know, how can I, I use this for good and how can I make this the most um, meaningful, you know, enjoyable work that I do. So I, I really do feel like I took a lot from my law school experience and I'm not sure that it would be the same for everyone, but that was certainly true for me. So would you support your kids if they wanted to go to law school or would you try to steer them away from that? I am 100% not the person that says you shouldn't go to law school, whether it's my kids or someone else's. I see people on, you know, online groups all the time that say, don't go to law school, don't go to law school. I do think most of the problems of a decade ago where there was many more lawyers and there were jobs have at least, you know, settled down a little bit. I do think Mm -hmm. that our profession is going to change with more automation and artificial intelligence, particularly in transactional work. I think that the, the law firm model and how hours are billed, at least in big law, may change at, at some point. But I think that the law is a very noble profession. I think that it's one of those few self-regulating professions where we hold ourselves to you know, certain standards. And I really like that. And I already am convinced that my daughter is going to be a lawyer. Like I can see her mind, how it works and her reasoning. And, and I absolutely wow. would encourage it. I sure hope that they figure out you know, a different way to pay for law school by then. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, I absolutely believe in the goodness of our profession. And I think that it might not be for everyone, but for those who find that work meaningful, that they should absolutely wholeheartedly pursue it. Okay, very cool. 
And so you're licensed in New York and New Jersey. Any plans to take the bar in Florida where you don't need it in your current? Pennsylvania and DC. Oh, okay. Sorry. Well, <laughs> I took the bar in New York and in New Jersey and, and passed in both places, but I'm also licensed in Pennsylvania, DC and Florida. Okay. Um, uh, for, you know, at least for in-house practice. And I have zero plans of ever taking another bar again. Zero plans. Zero. <laughs> <laughs> I actually enjoyed studying for the bar much more than I enjoyed law school, interestingly enough, but I have no desire to go through that again. I hope that I don't need to go through that again. The only time I would consider it is really like, I've always had a dream of living abroad. Mm -hmm. If I could go expat somewhere and some, for some reason I needed to have, you know, study for some sort of solicitor or barrister's license or something, I would consider that. But I am a lifelong learner. I love to read. I love, I'm a sponge. I love to pick things up, but I just don't have the desire to put myself through that again. Yeah. Understandable. <laughs> <laughs> and do you have in somewhere in the back of your mind or even towards the front of your mind, any plans on just being a public speaker and letting the blog go where it is and stop practicing? I do not have plans to stop practicing. I'll say that unequivocally and not because someone that I work with might be listening. <laughs> As I've explored my passion for advocacy and speaking and kind of drawing issues of working professionals into the light, I have been asked this question a lot, you know, is will I ever leave the practice of law and focus primarily on this, particularly because I have a lot I get a very high volume of clients that want to work with me and I have limited hours to do so because I have a day <laughs> job and three children. Yeah. But uh, I love being a business lawyer so much. I spoke in a session earlier today called Loving Your Life in the Law. And that is because I really do love what I do. And I know that it's not possible for everyone. I'm not someone who believes in like fairy tales and unicorns and rainbows. And, and if you just like it enough that everything will work out, but I am passionate about the area that I practice in, and that only serves to enhance my work as a speaker, a consultant, and a coach, because I can actually relate to people from both sides, people who, you know, have been in the practice and want to get out, and people who are currently in the practice, but going through something, and I think that that just, that helps me help others more. It is my goal to continue to reach others through my speaking engagements and consulting work. I love that so much, but I don't see myself ever leaving the practice entirely. Okay. I can hear your passion for the practice area that you're in. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and deputy general counsel, how, how did you get into that? Well, um, I took this position in, right before the pandemic hit in February of 2020, when I was moving from Pittsburgh to Orlando following my divorce. And I was hired in as associate general counsel role, kind of managing a bicontinental team in conjunction with our general counsel of lawyers. And, wow. you know, over the course of the year was, we, we had some struggles. Our parent company filed for bankruptcy. Obviously the pandemic hit, we have a monosource supply chain, which, you know, was put into jeopardy because of COVID and, and just supply chain issues around the world. And I had a really meaningful opportunity to come in early in my time in this company and contribute in a way that was impactful to the viability of the company. Yeah. Um, at least as it's been told to me. So I was recently promoted to the deputy general counsel role, okay. which just allows me to expand beyond the trans transactional scope of, you know, my supply chain, uh, commercial work to the, the broader areas that affect our company, anything from, you know, regulatory compliance, export control, labor and employment, what, whatever comes up. And so I, I have a little bit more of an active 
role in those things as well as you know strategic business planning of the company. Okay, very cool. I love that you wanted to be in-house even when you were in law school and you made that happen. That's awesome. Let me tell you that it was both uh, an equal desire to work in-house because I love business and to never work a day of my life in a law firm. It was an equal motivation. <laughs> okay. Those are pretty strong <laughs> motivations. Right. Yeah. But I mean, that was just for me. I, I understand that most people have the exact opposite desire of me, but that was, that was just me. I, I knew what I wanted. Okay. So one last question here. On your website about the blog, which is Recovering Superwoman, you mentioned mm -hmm. that through the years, you thought that you could do it all and you could, but you were empty. Would you explain yeah. a little bit more about that? Yeah, thank you. That's, that's such a great question. So I think I said something a little bit earlier along the lines of, I used to try to be it all for everyone, do it all for everyone. I was like the Olivia Pope of my life and just <laughs> fixing, trying to fix everything for everyone. I was so codependent in finding my self-worth through doing things for others, acts of service. Hmm. Uh, I thought that I had to perform for love. And let me say love in a greater context, not necessarily just in my interpersonal relationships. Like I thought that I would be valued more as an employee if I was the best employee, <laughs> you know, yeah. if I was the most high functioning, the, you know, delivered the best results. And that just applied to every area of my life as a mom, as a wife, as, as an employee, as a daughter, as a friend, I was constantly performing for love. And I've been blessed with resources and skills to have made it through some really harrowing situations mm -hmm. and to continue to be a great mom and to continue to deliver as an employee while going through all of this. So I felt like, what do you got world? Like throw it at me. I can handle it. Right. Yeah. Like it was, a, it was inward looking, but not from a selfish perspective, but I really felt like, okay, like you, I can do it and I can do it in stilettos. That's what I always used to <laughs> tell my therapist. And, and it really was empty is, is the right word. It, it was not the way I wanted to live my life. I wanted to live my life in acts of service to others because I wanted to, not because that is what delivered my value. Okay. I wanted to be appreciated, but, but for who I was without having to do any of the stuff, mm -hmm. without having to be perfect or appear perfect. And so when I tell my story on my blog, at least, you know, in the 30,000 foot view, that's really what I mean. I mean that it was an unfulfilling way to live life. I was by most means crushing it, but it was not how I would want to live. I was lucky to perform well through it. I was lucky to have not, you know, suffered some sort of major burnout or breakdown during it. Yeah. And regardless of like what I learned is <laughs> taking a shower is not self-care. I used to make self-deprecating jokes as a mom of three, like, oh, I shower twice a week. Like, and I still don't have time to do that. And someone's still hanging on me, you know? Yeah. But you know what? Like we, we wait as a society until it's almost too late to take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And really my journey in recovering superwoman is to not be a superwoman anymore. I actually look at the word as something that is not a badge of honor. It's, yeah. I look at it as someone who, who thinks they have to do it all and doesn't have support or can't find support or doesn't know how to delegate or whatever it might be. Or doesn't and know to ask for help. Yes. Or receive it. I remember mm -hmm. this is a great example. And maybe you experienced this when you had your baby, but you know, people offered to like bring food to my house. 
Okay. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so kind. Thank you so much. Don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) Not only did I not know how to ask, I didn't know how to accept it when it was offered. Yeah. No. And like, that's a skill that you have to learn. And Mm -hmm. when you're in like those kind of situations. So really the entire idea is simply about learning to be who I am to offer the goodness that I want to give to the world just because I want to, and not because doing so will get me the love or affection or attention of, you know, anyone else in my life. And that's really what recovering superwoman's all about. I love that. And so your last comment, we actually went through the opposite, like where people were offering to bring food because we had her last June, right in the thick of all the pandemic. So, oh my gosh, you're right. And I'm a notorious loner, right? Like I love my husband because he'll give me time to hang out and then he'll be in the other room. But I'm like craving people. I'm like, mom, can you just come down for three days? Like, can you self isolate and then come down, please? Because my daughter's met like five people in her life, including her pediatrician. I'm like, she hasn't met anyone. Like, she needs to see people. So, yeah. I hadn't even thought about it when you said that. That's got to be so, so tough. I am going to pray for you, my friend, that this <laughs> year, you. this year you have the opportunity to be in community with so many others. <laughs> yeah, she has a lot of Zoom calls. She's adapting, so. Oh, that's great. I'm so yeah. glad to hear that. Listen, I enjoyed <laughs> this talk so much. Thank you so much for facilitating this. And I look forward to continuing to listen to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to You Are a Lawyer. While you are here, subscribe to the show, leave a rating, and tell a friend about this episode. New episodes are released every other Thursday. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Bye.